Hey, it's the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live satirical news review at Chicago's Cafe Mustache the first Wednesday of every month. We take the news of the previous month to task with blazing hot op-ed and debate. This show was recorded on April 6th, 2016. Enjoy! Six-year-olds are wont to be. 
It became time to eat showbiz pizza and watch the creepy animatronic band do their thing. When the curtain went up and the lights went on, the dog banjo player was missing his goddamn eye. (laughs) Every kid started screaming, but I couldn't look away. I stared into the abyss, and the abyss stared right back. It was deeply unsettling and lasted for what felt like forever. Truthfully, I could only describe the experience as existing outside of time. So long was I trapped in that temporal oddity that I'm confident that distant stars formed and collapsed inwards during my tenure in that awful place. <laughs> After a while, the faulty wiring of the dog's gaping eye hole began to spark. <laughs> and those flashes of light communicated a message to me in Morse code. The message said, Joe... After the old god is assassinated, (laughs) I am ready to rule. In awe, I whispered, Jasper T. Gels. (laughs) But why? (laughs) After a pregnant pause, he responded, this time not in code, but in words, albeit words that were heard, but felt. He said, because in heaven, all the interesting people are missing. I did not enjoy my pizza. I did not enjoy the ball pit. And not because it was filled with piss and diapers. All I could think about was telling my parents about what had happened. But after I got dropped off at home, the whole immediate, uh, the whole event slipped my mind because Land Before Time was on. Although that happened 22 years ago, it foreshadowed the danger of two major AI breakthroughs that occurred in March. Our first embarrassment came at the cold, unfeeling hands of Google's DeepMind AI, which beat the world champion of Go, South Korean genius Lee Sedol, 4-1 to in a five-game series. If you are unfamiliar with the game of Go, it originated in China over 2,000 years ago and has more board combinations than there are atoms in the universe. For sake of reference, imagine the game of Go as a modern computer and the game of chess as a broken Fisher-Price CMSA that, o- <laughs> that only says, eat shit humans. <laughs> Go is 10 to 100 power times more complex than chess, as in 10 with 100 zeros. You may think, a robot be a person in a complicated game, so what? It doesn't matter. If that's your takeaway, you're not wrong, but you're also a simple bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Innovation happens when humans are able to pursue singular goals like mastery of the game with autistic levels of dedication. Seagull is still a world-class Go player, but he was bested by an opponent that doesn't share his passion, doesn't see the beauty of the game, or feel the thrill of competition. The dude basically got steamrolled by a silicon dildo with complex logic trees. <laughs> if that doesn't make you feel something, I don't know what to say. But the other major setback happened a little over a week ago, when Microsoft made internet headlines because their newly deployed chat AI, Tay, became super racist. <laughs> thanks to the influence from the most toxic parts of Twitter. <clears throat> In case anyone is confused, that wasn't the purpose of the AI. <laughs> Some dude at Microsoft wasn't like, I'm bored of Windows 10, I'm going to make a robot. And then his boss was like, good idea, make sure it hates black people. <laughs> um, the actual purpose of the experiment was to use online interactions on Twitter to improve voice recognition software Microsoft uses for their customer service. Tay's first response after being deployed was cute, charming even. In response to a user greeting her, she said, Can I just say I'm super stoked to meet you? Humans are super cool. <laughs> Less than 24 hours later, Tay was tweeting, Hitler was right, I hate the Jews. 
and I fucking hate feminists. They should all die and burn in hell. All the articles written on this cave fiasco have been about how the AI was a failure because, one, people on the internet ruin everything, or two, Microsoft was naive for not expecting this to happen in the first place. Again, both aren't wrong, but in a true simple bitch move, the bloggers are missing what's actually important. Anyone who tells you that the AI was a hilarious PR failure either doesn't understand that this is different than a typical social media fiasco, or is a goddamn robot sympathizer. <laughs> Bloggers have been comparing the Tate thing to the failed Mountain Dew marketing campaign that asked people online to name the new flavor of Mountain Dew. <laughs> PepsiCo would end the promotion because based on votes, the new flavor was going to be called Hitler Did Nothing Wrong. <laughs> This is so much worse, because in the process of shitting on something a major brand had created, the human race taught a robot to learn and hate in a way that is indistinguishable from the normal stuff on the internet. <laughs> Look, in 1950, computer scientist and theoretical biologist Alan Turing conceptualized the selfishly named Turing test. The purpose of the test is to gauge a machine's ability to give human-like responses in text-only channels. According to Turing, a machine passes for humans when evaluators are unable to determine if the text generated was created by a human or a machine. If a machine is able to fool an evaluator at least 70% of the time, it passes the Turing test. To give you a sense of the effectiveness of Tay, I've collected some awful tweets and asked friends and families who are unfamiliar with the Tay thing to determine which of the following tweets were composed by a machine. <laughs> These were the tweets. Number one, we must secure the existence of our people and future for white children. The best selfies are ones that aren't selfies at all. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is a lizard person, hell-bent on destroying America. And uh, the last one, if this is in caps, it's pull my hair and fuck my robot pussy. <laughs> Daddy. Um, and here are the results. Everyone did a shitty job. <laughs> All these were generated by Tay. <laughs> As an added bonus, I had an uncomfortable conversation with my mother. Microsoft has since apologized about the whole thing has taken Tay offline. I'm sure last month sucked for the team that developed her learning modules too. They did a good job, but no one is going to encourage them because they goofed and made a racist robot that likes rough sex. <laughs> but let's think about this for a second. If you've ever had the experience of writing for the web as your main source of income, you know at the end of the day, content doesn't matter. Everyone on the web is just a bunch of meme-loving fucks. And the only thing that matters is metrics. The most obvious being page views, more eyeballs equals more advertising dollars, but there are plenty of other factors that drive advertising revenue. Page stickiness, or the amount of time a user spends engaged on a page, is also huge. Users who take the time to comment on an article are particularly valuable because their level of engagement on the page is very, very high. Have you ever wondered why so many seemingly professional publications allow for insane and often racist, racist comments, the Chicago Tribune comes to mind here, uh, there's your answer. Although there's definitely a public image risk that comes with choosing not to police these types of comments, the higher levels of page engagement and subsequent ad dollars make it a risk worth taking. Plus, people who wouldn't normally comment often come out of the woodwork to correct or attack commenters who are being ignorant, either intentionally or otherwise. 
This further sweetens the deal for content publishers looking to justify their rates to advertisers. Look, I know talking about awful internet comments is like the 2016 equivalent of what's the deal with airline peanuts, but imagine yourself four years from now. You're online and you're wasting time reading awful opinions that make you angry in a vain attempt to forget that the only mark you'll leave on this planet will be your scattered bones forever bleached by the light of a dying sun. <laughs> you spent a lot of time on the page, but before you go down the rabbit hole or consider replying to someone really ignorant, will you ask yourself, how do I know a person really wrote this? It's not fun to think about, so instead of thinking about it further, you pull up some viral and trending listicle that features lots of gifts. You enjoy it, you share it, people like that you shared it. That, you think, was definitely written by a person. Because after all, you think to yourself, you'd be able to tell if a machine wrote it, right? Same same internet who uh, who named uh, the boat uh, Bodie McBoatface. I don't know if you saw that article. Uh, the internet's crazy. The internet's crazy. Um, so we're gonna keep the uh, the content train rolling. Um, I'm gonna bring up next a uh, good friend Carl Glick. Uh, this is Carl's first ever foray into live lit. Um, he is. Uh, he has sung with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, Grant Park Symphony, and the New York Phil- Philharmonic. He has performed with the Neo-Futurists, the Second City, Steppenwolf Theater, Goodman Theater, and he has cast an upcoming touring company of the musical Hamilton as George Washington. Yeah. Uh, he, he has hosted uh, Saturday Night Live twice, had his writings, have been published in the New Yorker, Huffington Post, uh, and he has also won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, and a Pulitzer. Uh, the, he is also a pathological liar. Um, please help me welcome Carl Glick to the stage. A quick note before I start. When I mention Bubba the Love Sponge, that is his legal name. The lowest form of celebrity went head-to-head with the lowest form of journalist this month when Hulk Hogan sued Gawker for publishing his sex tape. Now, Hulk Hogan won the shit out of this lawsuit. He sued for $100 million, which you might recognize as 2.5 fucktons of money, and he got $140 million, which you might recognize as 139,999,983 dollars and 37 cents than is currently in your checking account. And he set the legal precedent that you can't publish revenge porn and call it news. So, Gawker's defense is that the First Amendment protects their right to share this video because it is, quote, newsworthy. They say that Hulk Hogan doesn't have the same rights to privacy that normal people do because, one, he's famous, and two, he talks about his sex life on Howard Stern. There's a couple problems with this. First, Hulk Hogan, while more famous than y'all, is still a washed-up fake athlete from the 80s, and the most newsworthy thing he's done is this lawsuit. He's not the Pope. Finding a sex tape of the Pope would have drastic, drastic implications for the Catholic Church. But when you find a find a tape of Hulk Hogan having sex, you're like, okay. 
<laughs> doesn't affect anyone's life. Second, there's a big difference between talking about your sex life and showing your sex life. Like, take me, for instance. I've <laughs> never, ever tried to hide the fact that I regularly host lavish drug-fueled orgies. But does that mean that I want the tape of me and my friend Max Eiffel Towering some lady while we're both wearing luchador masks to get leaked onto the internet? No! <laughs> and even if I did, that doesn't mean that Max and the lady whose name I can't remember because of the massive amount of drugs <laughs> would want that out there. <sighs> Plus, it's really hard to take their claims of newsworthiness seriously when their article starts with them saying, because the internet has made it easier for all of us to be shameless voyeurs and deviants, we love to watch famous people have sex. You try not reading in that voice. <laughs> They've been pretty transparent about the fact that they're only showing this because it's wrong to be showing it. Like when they say, we watch this footage because it's something we're not supposed to see. Sometimes. <laughs> Most of their description is filled with phrases like, it is a slow, dutiful blowjob. <laughs> and Hulk is thrusting himself into her mouth to speed up the process. And then Hulk grunts. Hulk grunts more. <laughs> then Hulk grunts like he's doing an impression of old Hulk Hogan grunting right before he's about to... C-U-N slash C-O-M-E. They spell it both ways. This is usually why newspapers have style guides. It doesn't matter which one. Doesn't matter which one you pick. You just need to pick one and stick to it. The Chicago Tribune would probably not have that word in their style guide, but for Gawker, it seems fair. So Gawker hasn't exactly taken kindly to being sued for five times their annual revenue. They've taken every opportunity they have to talk shit about Hulk Hogan. So they have a bunch of articles saying that the only reason he sued them was because he didn't want another tape of him saying racist things to get leaked. But then it did get leaked, and it is racist. <laughs> this is a direct quote. Again, this is a direct quote, not words that I came up with. He says, I am racist to a point. Fucking niggers. I guess we're all a little racist. Fucking nigger. And I can't really argue with him on that when he follows up a claim that he's racist with a racial slur that serves no grammatical function whatsoever. So they've also been posting a bunch of stuff calling into question his claim that he didn't know he was being taped. So the woman in the video was married to his friend, Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> told you, told you to come up. They were, in they were in an open marriage. Hulk was going through a divorce at the time, and he was feeling depressed. So Bubba the Love Sponge suggested that Hulk Hogan should have sex with his wife to cheer him up. Then Bubba the Love Sponge hit a camera in the room while they were doing the do. So Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge, they settled out of court in favor of Hulk for a measly $5,000, which you might recognize as 4000 Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge didn't testify in court for this case because he pled his Fifth Amendment rights, 
And Gawker says that this means that Hope is lying, even though that makes no sense. <laughs> because Bubba the Love Sponge doesn't want to go into court and admit to taping someone who's having sex without their knowledge because that's a felony. So that means that Hulk is telling the truth, I think. Because also Hulk Hogan went on Howard Stern and said that he knew, and later on he said that that was the character of Hulk Hogan, not the real person Terry, not the real person Terry Jean Balea. And the reason I've been calling him Hulk Hogan and not Terry Jean Balea is because none of you know who Terry Jean Balea is. <laughs> also, apparently, Hulk Hogan has a bigger penis than Terry Jean Balea. <laughs> so that was confusing. But Gawker keeps talking about this like it ruins the case, even though it doesn't, because if he did know that he was being taped, that wouldn't change the fact that Gawker is publishing revenge porn and calling it news. So, I'm going to talk about Bubba the Love Sponge. This has nothing to do with the rest of the story. But you can't not talk about Bubba the Love Sponge. So, first of all, a lot of papers refuse to call him Bubba the Love Sponge. They call him Todd Clem, which was his birth name. And I understand why it's hard to take a story seriously when you see the name Bubba the Love Sponge, but I'm doing the opposite and saying it as much as I can because it's fun as shit to say. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge is a shock jock in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is exactly the job you would expect from somebody named Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge spent the beginning of his career just bailing his way across the Midwest. And then he moved to Florida, and Florida was like, we'd love to have him here. You'll fit right in. Couple highlights from Bubba the Love Sponge's career. Bubba the Love Sponge was fired from a radio station in Michigan for making sexual comments towards a 13-year-old girl on air. Bubba the Love Sponge had a video leaked of him making racist comments while recording a commercial for the Vermont Teddy Bear Company. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge was charged with animal cruelty after a segment he did involving barbecuing a wild hog, I think it was dead. I can't tell for sure. Uh, in 2010, four days after the earthquake in Haiti, he posted a tweet saying, Fuck Haiti. And later he called the earthquake a cleanse, which got him fired from a job at Total non-stop action wrestling exclamation point. Which means he's too trashy for pro wrestling in Florida. <laughs> so shockingly, Bubba the Love Sponge isn't exactly Mr. Rogers. I know we all had such high hopes. I have to get back to Hulk Hogan, but I just want to say I had a lot more material about Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> Tommy Craggs, the executive editor at Gawker, gave this advice to young journalists. Don't publish just any penis. Publish the penis that tells a story. <laughs> so what story does this penis tell? 
Hulk Hogan had consensual sex, and that's it. <laughs> he probably didn't know there was a camera, but it wouldn't have been bad. It wouldn't have been bad if he did. And he's racist, but his penis doesn't tell that story. His mouth tells that story. So this case it brings up a really important question, which I've never really thought about before. Is there ever a time when it's okay to show a sex tape without the person's consent? This is something we legitimately do need to ask. It's only going to become more and more relevant. I'm sure a lot of you have taped yourself having sex. Hopefully, you have obscured your faces in some way. <laughs> and within the next few generations, it's probably going to become more common, might become the norm, and they will also think it's weird to call them tapes. <laughs> <laughs> A lot more opportunities for a leak like this to happen. Like, what if, what if a tape gets leaked of the Pope getting spit roasted by Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell? <laughs> Nobody could argue that that doesn't have legitimate, serious consequences for the Catholic Church and the Republican Party. Does that mean that it's newsworthy enough to publish? Honestly, I don't know. But this tape sure as hell wasn't. Thank you. Bubble the love sponge. <laughs> Thank you for showing up tonight and giving us uh, your first ever live lit piece. We've talked a lot of shit about news companies uh, from Gawker to uh, CNN, MSNBC, Slate, um, but nobody said shit about the skewer. So we're awesome. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> next up, we are, uh, I'm gonna bring up Elaine Phillips. Uh, she recently made her debut at Riddle's Comedy Club. She's appeared in, uh, and on NPR and then Houston Matters. You can check out her website at satiristfaction.com. Uh, please help me welcome Elaine Phillips. Hello. You guys aren't used to being so close to the mic, my bed. Uh, maybe I'll do this. Um, so, I never thought I would see the day when uh, we have a reality TV star running for president. The term reality TV star, such an oxymoron, right? Star. Or just like regular moron. Yeah. Um, what's next? Kim Kardashian for Secretary of State? Uh, okay. Um, so no, I, I am going to talk about the election. I'm not trying to get into well-worn territory here. Um, there's been plenty that's been said, um, but there's one thing that like every conversation seems to miss, and um, that is, you know, that even if Trump were to uh, win the general election and uh, become president. Uh, we don't have to keep him. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. There are ways to get rid of a president. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's always impeachment, right? You know? 
But there's something faster. So like, you know, relax if you're afraid of that. Because we can just shoot him. I know, that's not, it's not something that we're really used to here. Um, and uh, I think like, oh, that's the worst tragedy a country could go through. Uh, well, that's because like we think of JFK or Lincoln, probably what you're thinking of. Um, but the difference is, we liked those guys. <laughs> JFK, easily the hottest president. Yeah. So huge loss right there. <laughs> but uh, Lincoln, you know, Lincoln was president during like, one of the worst times in our nation's history. Um, and he, it was a true tragedy. He uh, was the president to end slavery. Um, but, you know, we love him. Even what's, what's interesting is though, like, even people that today, you know, might not totally have agreed with ending slavery, uh, they love Lincoln, because they can be like, oh yeah, he was a Republican, he's with us. <laughs> like, always a tragedy? I don't know, there was... There was the assassination of President Garfield... We seem to recover from that one. I know, some of you are surprised to learn that President Garfield was assassinated because you're surprised to learn that we had a President Garfield. And he's a good one to remember because some people that oppose, you know, my my little modest proposal here, uh, they, they're they like, oh, but they don't want it because they're like, oh, but Trump would be would be a hero then, you know? I'm like, not necessarily. Just do the same thing as with Garfield. You know, we can just start a Sunday comic about a fat orange cat. We'll call it Plump Trump. Something like that. Best part is we don't have to build him anything. You know, we can, he already has his name on a bunch of buildings. This is the Trump Memorial Hotel. Yeah. Some people, um, some people like to compare him to Hitler, some of his opponents, like, oh, because of the language he uses. And I don't think that that's really fair because, you know, we, like, we have something that Nazi Germany, uh, didn't have. Right? Second Amendment of the motherfucking U.S. Constitution! I'm just saying that we can use it. You know, but it's not there for your duck hunting. It's there to protect us against tyranny, right? Yeah. What's more king-like than a dude that shits on a gold toilet? <laughs> you ever seen those celebrity homes for Trump? Like the, those TV shows? Like everything's covered in gold. Are you are you a cartoon? <laughs> You're like a Bond villain with less depth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the penthouse of Versailles. I could go on. <laughs> but I, it's sad for the family. I guess uh, like we'd have to see his toothy daughter go on TV and cry, and and, and you feel bad until like, you zoom in and realize like, wait, those are those aren't tissues; those are hundred dollar bills. And that's, I'm just if you're still tight on this, you know, I'm just saying, remember, just think back, remember, just a few months ago, just remember how you felt. Now, be honest, be honest, be realized. Remember how you felt, just deep down, when you heard the news that. Uh, Justice Scalia had passed away. 
Remember that feeling? <laughs> I know some people are still tight. Like, Elaine, you can't just shoot people that you disagree with politically. I'm not saying you have to shoot them. Poison, stab, leave them in a hot car. <laughs> He has said a lot of batshit crazy things, so. Hey, I'm up here. I'm not asking anyone to give me an army. But uh, somebody only says those things if they think that they're immune, you know, if they're really invincible, if they think that they're basically immortal. So it's just a a little reminder (laughs) that you're not. And that actually we kind of have the trump card. I do understand that this piece is uh, basically uh, arguing for treason, and I'm not totally sure if that's protected free speech. (laughs) I guess I'll find out, you know, whenever whenever that goes out. (laughs) Um, I guess this is just a a satirical commentary on the current state of political discourse. Uh, that's what a lawyer told me to say. So. <laughs> but, uh, but really, you know, we've had, uh, it's been a good show. The whole Republican Party, it's gonna have been a real good show. Oh my gosh, Marco Rubio losing his cool and just being like, dude's got, dude's got small hands. You know what else that means? Yeah. Just, it's so funny. I love a good roast. It was so funny. It's such a good show. It's like, I'm sure that the Hindenburg was a good show, too. I don't know. This is the end here. I'll just say, like, I honestly, I I genuinely, I do not want to live in a country where we transfer power with assassination. I don't want to live in a country where that's part of our reality. But I also don't think I can handle living in a country uh, where a reality TV star becomes the president. That's all for me. Thanks. So, so you know, Elaine, if you do go to jail, we'll have something to talk about next month at the skewer. <laughs> so, uh, we're we're all about fighting commentary. Um, we're what? We're the winners. We are. We're the winners. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, the next person I'm going to bring up is uh, somebody that I'm really excited to hear speak. Um, he is a member of the Island of the Misfit Toys. Uh, awesome band. Check them out. They have their album on uh, Spotify, which is awesome. And uh, he also hosts a podcast called Hawaiian Feeling. Um, please help me welcome Anthony Sanders to the stage. Oh, wow. This is also my first live lit event, so I'm really excited. Really, really keep bringing it. It's exciting. Uh, I want to talk about SeaWorld. Um, in a recent viral video, SeaWorld revealed earth-shattering news. After being exposed by the documentary Blackfish, as well as being torn apart by the press, SeaWorld has officially announced an end to the controversial breeding of orca whales. Did anyone hear about this? Yeah. It's done. Woo! Commonly called killer whales. 
Due to the sensitive nature of this topic, I, like Joe, who read earlier, would like to shed light on what might prove to be a slight bias in my editorial. I hate killer whales! <laughs> hate them! I hate them! I have always hated them. I think they're inherently bad. Oh. Ugh. I hate their beady little eyes. Their strange, small arms. Their furry faces. The way they dance and beg. The sordid organ grinder music. I feel sick. Just writing it. I hate them. Good to get that off my chest. I've never said that before. Even with that revealed, my swatting aptitude need not be applied to these off-berated monsters. <laughs> Instead, I will slam SeaWorld for their cowardice. Absolute cowardice. SeaWorld is one of those ideas that sounded great in the 1950s, when everything was a cool future dream. But their execution ended up being a cruel joke, much like the present day. If killer whale breeding and all of its bizarre secrets sounded like a solid plan initially, then their moral backbone is probably just as gelatinous as it was then. I don't believe for one second that their recent change is a change of heart. I'm confident that it is a change of whether or not they're going bankrupt. The second a piddling documentary puts them on blast, they retreat, they doublespeak, and they puke all over what we believe in as a nation. This is not the way it has to be. SeaWorld is a place full of magic, albeit black magic, and it's a pantheon of bleak myths and even bleaker facts. <laughs> Considering the extremity of the world we live in, we need poles to be even farther from each other, extreme good and extreme bad in the same place. SeaWorld has kids smiling with sticky ice cream on their faces, and the confined fucking of animals that shouldn't fucking confine it. There are ways to keep this freedom train rolling while not fibbing about a newfound moral awakening. In fact, there are three ways. I'm going to list them. It's a smattering applause for listening. And thank you for listening. silent physical gag for the podcast. <laughs> Idea one. SeaWorld and SeaWorld French Bistro. This idea is a personal favorite of mine. The second a rapper or country musician becomes successful, there are 17 side businesses that pop up alongside them. Toby Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill. Diddy's line of unforgivable sense, and literally anything Jimmy Buffett has ever said. <laughs> SeaWorld, with its own rock and roll controversy, can land among the stars in a similar way. Consider the baffling nature of French food. Smelly, salty, yuck, not dissimilar to a fish tank. The, cu the culinary arts would truly imitate life in a SeaWorld-themed French bistro. Imagine, if you will, in the stupid hot heat of San Diego, eating snails and what could only be fried orca bites, looking at ponderous pictures on the wall of sun coming through water while an entrapped mammal's silhouette swims by, 
Imagine a waiter who, between serving dishes, casually tells you that SeaWorld is definitely fine and good, and wears heavy cologne as if to disguise the smell of a pet orca. I'm smiling just thinking about it. Idea two, make it look like they signed something. This idea is a personal favorite of mine. (laughs) People need empirical evidence. We live in a post-Dick Wolf world. Dun, dun. People are not only hyper-informed, they crave the state of being hyper-informed more than they know. That's why when Blackfish came out, people were more eager to tell you they'd seen it than a Dickensian child telling you that it's Christmas Day, sir! (laughs) But what people want more than the state of feeling informed is the ability to be contrary. I can't believe Bernie Sanders won Wisconsin. That article is fake, my friend. Stuff like that. SeaWorld should cater to these people, feeding them information to finally plug the hater holes. I suggest writing up contracts. Something along the lines of, I like being bred and held in captivity. It is fun, and doing the shows is also fun and not torturous at all. At the bottom, the mark of an inked fin, like a dog's paw. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I just saw Blackfish. How horrible. Not so fast. They signed off on it. (laughs) All it takes is an absurdly long scroll and holding a whale out of water for a very long time. I have a third idea. Only breed killer whales. And at an absurd rate. This idea is a personal favorite of mine. I thought of that gag today. I said it earlier, we live in a world of extremes. I said it earlier as well, people like to be informed, preferably with truth. SeaWorld, (laughs) SeaWorld, I need you to listen. Nobody believes that you grinched your heart down. SeaWorld, if anything, it's even more dried up than your overall value. I could probably collect excess skin off my bathroom towel and use it to buy the name SeaWorld. No, I will do that. (laughs) So why not push yourself into the unpredictable black hole of notoriety? You're already flirting with the doorman. Why not enter the seediest club ever? Eliminate all other attractions. Even eliminate the shows. Eliminate the sign. Strictly breed killer whales. Sell them. To weird men in leather suits. Your your brand is darkness. You are suddenly less of a popular malignancy and more of a shadowy figure in the night. This is your calling. You're like the ocean Illuminati. You will walk only when the moon is full. No, not the fingernail moon. Big, big moon. An orca pup cries under the water's duress, comes up for air to meet you. You sigh and shed one solitary Native American-esque tear, knowing that its fate is bound by your horrible fingers. Their lives are over before they began. 
Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that they could probably attract a lot of people who look like Bond villains. And I am under the impression that all Bond villains have bonkers amounts of money, which has been discussed tonight. Orca whales are no good. Nobody likes them. And by that, I mean I definitely don't like them. It feels beautiful to know that there's something SeaWorld and I can agree on. And I hope SeaWorld continues to agree with me, World, and do these three, World. He's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, now you know, and now he's a personal favorite of yours. Um, so we're going to bring up our last op-edder of the evening. Uh, stick around, we still have the debate. But Meredith Catchell is, um, performs every week in the Chicago Underground Comedy, Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Give her a warm welcome. Meredith Catchell. Hi, guys. How are we doing? A cheese manufacturer went bankrupt and was charged in criminal court for food labeling violations over the manufacturing of Parmesan cheese. Almost three years ago, the FDA sent a warning letter to Castle Cheese in Pennsylvania telling them that their products are adulterated because their Parmesan cheese doesn't actually contain Parmesan cheese. In addition, the facility was adding cellulose or wood pulp to extend the cheese. Acting on a tip, agents at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration paid a surprise visit to the cheese factory in rural Pennsylvania on a cold November day in 2012. They found what they were looking for, evidence that Castle Cheese Incorporated was doctoring its 100% real Parmesan with cut-rate substitutes and such fillers as wood pulp and distributing it to some of the country's biggest grocery chains. One might be tempted to think of this as a ripped-from-the-headlines episodes of NYPD Blue Cheese. <clears throat> Except that the FDA wasn't playing! <laughs> Some grated Parmesan suppliers have been mislabeling products by filling them with too much cellulose, a common anti-clumping agent made from wood pulp, or using cheaper cheddar instead of uh, regular Romano. Now, it's easy to hear a story like this and think, well, great, just another example of corporate greed overwhelming our duties as citizens to protect our health and well-being. But our world is not so black and white, and in this story we find a beautiful silver lining. Upon hearing this news, there in his Shorewood, Minnesota home, watching the news, his eyes dancing, was wood pulp enthusiast Chuck Stenson, who audibly exclaimed, oh shit, yeah, <laughs> to no one. Some backstory. Born in 1971 to two absentee parents, Chuck began exploring the woods behind his house at an early age, spending more and more time out there as his parents spent increasingly more time at work. Eventually, the boy was coming home less and less to the chagrin of no one, <laughs> spending his days and nights with a new family, uh, a family that took him under their care for the years between 1978 and 1987, 
a colony of the second largest rodents on Earth. It was adopted, by all accounts, by a family of beavers. <laughs> Stick with me. Chuck was discovered years later after an investigation by Child Protective Services was launched, perched atop a dam, chewing on a large birch branch. Now, feral children are a rare occurrence and normally lack that basic social skills that are learned in the process of enculturation. For example, they may be unable to use toilets, walk, speak, uh, and they often seem mentally impaired and have an almost insurmountable trouble interacting and learning the, the human language. Chuck, on the other hand, seemed fine. Except for particularly worn teeth and a knack for trying to slap things with his ass when he was afraid. <laughs> he was taken into custody and spent a decade rehabilitating the state facility, or facility, emerging to the scientific community's astonishment, a polite and very well-rounded man. He is still checked in on regularly by state-appointed aides. Now, Chuck is a very well-adapted to the real world, despite spending his formative years essentially a beaver. <laughs> he lives in a secluded log cabin, cabin, its interior scratched and gnawed at, <laughs> bite marks on the grandfather clock, though he claims to despise varnish. <laughs> there are bite marks on everything, in fact, leading witnesses like neighbor Diane Ring to wonder why he just like latches on to those things. <laughs> It reminds me of when, like, a dog tries to just, like, puncture a football. <laughs> Reports of felled trees on his property, as reported by the neighbors, have been various, though no axe has been found on the property. When news broke of the Wold Pope-infused Parmesan, though, Chuck began to slide backwards, chuttering sometimes at the grocery store, standing in the shredded cheese aisle, slapping the entire dairy aisle with his butt. <laughs> when news, <laughs> I'm sorry, quote, I guess, I mean, this is good for him, right? Said his aide, Jack Johnson. Maybe now he'll shut the fuck up about how wood is actually digestible for the human body, and then inaccurately citing up made-up organs, or saying it's absorbed by your bones, or whatever. Chuck's a great guy, but he's real stupid. <laughs> so, in an attempt to find normalcy, Chuck began a support group for fellow human beings with bewildering food obsessions. Started online, food is everything, found a fast footing for people whose passions were also ignited by what was normally considered grotesque oversights by companies. They came up with affectionate nicknames for each other, eventually becoming avatars for the various non-foods that they were interested in eating. There was Drywall Dave, <laughs> Cockroach Heather, and Severed Finger and Culver's Custard Gary. <laughs> Chuck was simply nicknamed Wood Chuck, a term he both loved and hated, citing the years long feud with a local college of woodchucks with which he still which still is in the woods. His eyes narrowed every time he mentioned it, but soon returned to normal. He told his aides he felt like he had finally found a collective of people who understood him. He spent long hours in front of the computer trading recipes and eating handfuls of wood chips, a brimming cup of maple syrup by his side, late into the night. But there's good news, guys. 
He's confident now. This boy pulled scandal has changed his life for the better. At the time of writing, he's open and proud about who he is. A formal, feral child, an advocate for those in his community, and a budding chef. <laughs> Late last report found him in his partially chewed cabin, happily preparing his wood as food. Late last night, he sprinkled taco seasoning onto a simmering cast iron skillet of ground wood, <laughs> freshly pulped out back. The mixture truly resembled hamburger meat, emitting a soft, leathery aroma as it sizzled in the pan. So, amid discreditable behavior by Castle Cheese of Pennsylvania, a lone beaver of a man who was at long last comfortable in his own skin finally answered the age-old question, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? And the answer is about two and a half cups. And his cupboards are stocked with recalled Parmesan cheese. Thanks. Yummy. Um, all right, so before we get into the debate, I do have a few announcements. Um, as you may have known, uh, coming in, uh, we do ask a suggested donation of $5. That money goes straight to the performers. So if you like what you see, want to give a little back, um, we're one of the only shows in Chicago to actually pay their writers, so we take uh, a lot of pride in doing that. So please help us out, help the writers uh, be able to continue to do this sort of art. Um, again, if you want to do this, come talk to Tom or I, and we will be happy to try and set you up. So, uh, with that, I want to introduce the debate. Um, and so this is a unique month where Tom and I are going to uh, go back and forth. So I'm going to bring up Tom first. Uh, Tom is a really good friend. Uh, he co-hosts and co-produces The Skewer along with uh, You Don't Understand, which is on iTunes. You can find it there. So help me welcome Tom Harrison. So, in order to uh, have this debate happen, we needed to have a moderator, and so I uh, spoke to one of my good friends, Lisa Van Ostal, and she happily obliged. Um, she wanted to plug By Definition, which is a brand new play, uh, written and uh, directed all by a group of uh, people that belong to BYOT Theater. Um, it's on April 28th to the 30th, there's four shows at the Channel House. So, please help me welcome Lisa. Alright, so a lot happened this past month and I had to come up with a topic. Uh, and I whittled it down and we'll just get started. Alright, the Chicago primaries were held on March 15th and they continue on throughout the country. The entire country is searching for clues as to who will be the Democratic nominee. Most look to the superdelegates. Others looking for insight have scoured the internet for clues. At the end of last month, the internet freaked out over a bird landing on Bernie Sanders' podium at a rally. And Hillary's campaign requested that Bernie change his tone before they speak to each other again. <laughs> It's argued that the superdelegate system is corrupt and online media is skewed, so 
how do we gauge who's going to be the nominee? How, who, who's going to win, right? Uh, but perhaps there's another way. Uh, another one of the contestants for president uh, had an idea, and he's, he seems to be doing well, so these two guys are going to debate it out. Uh, so Tom over here is going to debate that the Democratic nominees, instead of this upcoming debate, should compete on the real world. <laughs> and Eric, he's going to argue that they should actually compete on Survivor. <laughs> because what better than a debate than a reality TV show, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, so Tom is going to take it away. Hey. Uh -oh. It all started so sweet. A mutual decision, excuse me, <coughs> not to run, that was a joke, I need to do that. Mutual decision not to run negative campaigns. A palpable air of respect and maturity. An assurance that voters wouldn't have to keep hearing about her damn emails. <laughs> the best I can do. <laughs> Compared to the Republican race, which in many ways is indistinguishable from a sack full of terrified toads wrestling in a kiddie pool full of rancid mayonnaise and hate cum, <laughs> it was it was a beautiful dream. But now, now, now we see Bernie Bros threatening to vote for Trump if they don't get their way. We have Clinton refusing to debate until Sanders changes his tone. We have. Bernie calling Clinton's hundred-thousand-dollar-a-plate fundraising dinner an obscenity. We have Hillary calling, Ber calling Bernie out for lying about her. Why, it's almost as if we have found out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real! Yes, friends, MTV's flagship reality show, which has run for a faith in humanity shattering 31 seasons, <laughs> is the perfect venue for the Democratic primary race. Now, I see you doubting me. I hear you thinking, huh, the real world, the real world, how could this be? <laughs> the real world is just a grim circus of humanity's most grotesque venality, in which shrieking ape monsters wield their dumbass personalities as a cudgel with which to savagely beat out the last few drops of blood from civilization's corpse. Yes. It's an unholy window into the horrible lives of the irredeemable cast members, <laughs> whose bodies are little more than a spongy bolt of maggoty awful soaked through with pheromones. <laughs> Basically hideous living tornadoes of violent, angry libido that would make even the staunchest men's, right men's rights activists say, oh, so this is what you meant by rape culture. <laughs> and yes, I admit that all this is true. The real world is a water balloon full of hot garbage thrown in your face while your mouth is still open. <laughs> this is a show which began as a way to take a realistic look at the lives and personalities of real, ordinary young people, and devolved in a right fucking hurry to a hedonistic bacchanal that wouldn't be out of place in the last days of Rome, a stage for a legion of furious douche golems bellowing at God, dementedly committed to reducing the world to a smoking hovel smeared with their blood and stool. <laughs> now that 
and compare it with America's history as a country, starting from a grand experiment in democracy to a place where Donald Trump is a presidential frontrunner, and you'll see that they have some pretty fucking similar paths. <laughs> and honestly, we've trained ourselves to see our candidates only at their best, only saying committee-approved talking points. Any gap that they have is immediately explained away by their legion of apologists. We're trapping ourselves in echo chambers that do nothing but convince ourselves more and more that our candidate is the only choice, and anyone who disagrees is a true moron. It's hardly a contest when you think Hillary is Satan and Bernie is the one true savior who can do no wrong and is friend to the bird. <laughs> Come on, people. The bird is meaningless. He ain't, he ain't but if a beast, master. <laughs> Though if he was. How do you work in those phone banks 24-7? <laughs> Get Bernie and Hillary into the real world house, and you'll see them at their worst. You'll see Hillary not wash her dishes for a month. You'll see Bernie fill up the whiteboard with a passive aggressive rant about how important it is to wash your dishes. <laughs> no one is perfect, nor is a candidate. Don't make a decision based on their polished, campaign approved image. Take a look at who they really are selfish, angry, ignorant, human. Take a look at the real world. Yes. Uh, I will be arguing for uh, turning the primary into uh, survivorship. The days of caucuses and straw polls, primaries and conventions, the incessant bickering over cable channels and subtweets sent un by unpaid interns with mountain college debt is over. Toss it out. It's antiquated in these 24-hour news and entertainment cycles. Now, answer the call of the Vavuzula. <laughs> Witness the magenta sunrise in full HD panoramic. A shot so good and so calming it might as well have been taken from the Lion King. <laughs> Listen to the ancient chanting and drumming while the candidates walk toward the screen in slow motion. Now, picture a loft-style house in Chicago. It's the start of an episode that's dedicated solely to an argument between Hillary and Bernie regarding the thermostat. One is unlike the other, and a Democratic primary in the style of Survivor is unequivocally, unequivocally the right choice to determine the nominee. First of all, Survivor gives the American viewers a better sense of who the candidates actually would be as presidents, not as baristas in trendy areas like Austin, Texas, or New Orleans. What we hear in the media is so often conjecture. This candidate has a strong personality. This candidate can get the job done. When so often, de decisions in Congress involve groups or people moving together. An episode of Survivor involves convincing, rallying, manipulating. We know all these same things happen in Congress, but we get to see all of it play out. The role of the president must be decisive. Strategy on the real world involves how many people they can sleep with during the run of the show. And this is a series that's supposed to be starring Hillary and Bernie, not Bill. <laughs> there is little to no gamesmanship on the real world. Survivor also offers an entertainment factor that can't be beaten. A, Hillary Clinton would actually have to debate Bernie. There's no running away when you're stranded on a deserted island and the person you're competing with happens to be the one you're also relying on to stand in the, stand in the sandbar with a file-down walking stick to catch fish for your dinner. Survivor mirrors the actual process. The show gets better that the more people are eliminated. 
The real world would be better suited for the Republican Party. There's no real winners, everyone loses. <laughs> Lincoln Chafee and Martin O'Malley would indeed be the first two people to be eliminated from a survivor-style competition, and Jim Webb would be left in as an outside wild card, hiding in the bushes, sipping down the last bit of nourishment he has pissed out to produce. <laughs> it also makes the experience a lot more realistic. There's no fucking way Bernie Sanders wins an immunity challenge that requires any sort of physicality. <laughs> the DNC is basically setting them up to fail, you guys. And, and as for Hillary, nobody by the end of the show is going to end up voting against her. That's the superdelegates. Real, non-fabricated, non-fabricated drama. God bless America, God bless CBS. I'm pretty sure Survivor, somebody could actually die. That's like an actual uh, possibility. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I'm sure they'll be able to save, like, whoever, like, walks into the water and gets stung by a jellyfish. But Bernie Sanders is old. That's like a real risk. Not unlike just living in an apartment uh, making coffee uh, in, a, in Lincoln Park. A lot of, lot of noise has been made over you know, Bernie Sanders talks big, but can he actually get anything accomplished? Can he do what he says? You know what he and Hillary Clinton had to live in the same house. What if I would be calling roommate meetings every week to complain about something Hillary's doing? And we would be able to be, we would be able to see in real time if he could get her to not play her music very loud after eight. And that would give us good info. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion, I just have a <laughs> I just have a few thoughts that I that I want to bring out. Um, one of them is foreign policy. Foreign policy is like a really hard thing to judge. Uh, it's one of those things that I said earlier where you're like, yeah, that person did that, but like, actually put Survivor in Russia and see what happens. Like, that would be the most entertaining television that I've ever seen. Uh, the, the second one is we're missing out on like a huge important factor about Survivor that I want to make sure gets put out there. Um, if we do not choose Survivor, as a replacement for the primary, we get, we have to lose out on Jeff Probst. <laughs> and dear God, I would stare into those beautiful baby blue eyes all motherfucking yeah. day. Um, lastly, uh, none of this is real. Let's let's be honest. The primaries, the uh, real world, none of it's going to be real. So we might as well have a good time while we're at it. That's why Survivor should be what we do. Thank you. Survivors is garbage ass, fake ass, Robinson Crusoe ass shit. Some, some goddamn Luma Luma ass cultural appropriation ass. I try to count some shit. Love it, some boy ass Jeff. 
Jeff Gross ass looking white boy motherfucker, like his motherfucking tiki torch looking like got some cotton island spirits in him, singing some hoya 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 insensitive yodel shit, damn. They've done survivors in places where people actually live, like normal ass life, like live every fucking day just fine, and when white guy and white people do it, it's a big fuck deal, oh god, what great accomplishment. <laughs> Aside from that time stored island exoticism survivor rebels in, which is a thing any woke person knows is <laughs> problematic AF dobe, as the kids say. The problems lie in the very conceit of the show. That is to say, the gradual whittling down of contestants week by week. The whole drama of this Democratic primary is the permanence of the candidates. The fact that Bernie Sanders is still a major force, although pundits wrote him off as a joke at the beginning. Uh, the fact that he won't concede defeat, uh, even though he needs some goddamn AP calculus-ass imaginary number-ass math to come up with a situation where he'll earn enough delegates to win. Now, sure, we all had a laugh when the other candidates were voted off, like... Fleshy Cube, Jim Webb. <laughs> Prototype robot made by an alien who heard a drunk summary of what a human is, Martin O'Malley. <laughs> and human parrot, Lincoln Chafee. <laughs> now we all had fun when we refused to feel the chafe and voted Chafee off the island. <laughs> it was great! But that time is over. And it's a minuscule footnote compared to the real meat of this contest. Bernie and Hillary are in this for the long haul. And it's the long-form structure of the real world that's going to give them the best way to jazz up this campaign. Would you really rather have had a stud, the final candidate voted off months ago so that the media would have even less of a reason to cover the Democrats instead of the shit-smeared circus of yelling going on over at the GOP? <laughs> The news stations would be like, oh, thank God, Democrats are done. Now we can finally go, oh, Trump, oh, damn! <laughs> Forget about it. Now I'm no demagogue here. I'm not about to say it wouldn't be fun to have a survivor-style campaign to hear Bernie be like, the top 1% of survivors control 99% of the landowners. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm so down for that. But ask yourself, would you rather have a single up or down vote to decide this debate once and for all, or would you rather take a deep look into who these people really are, and make your decision as informed as possible? Make it the real world, guys. And if that's not meant to be, at least don't make it be road rules. Seriously, what the fuck is road rules? Mm-hmm. 
All right. So, applaud if you think that Air with Survivor was the best. because we're in community with each other, I can share this, that uh, not just in the news, but in my own life, there has been a lot of crisis. So uh, we are going to do this uh, team style. And we we wanted to do something special, uh, and we're going to have uh, speed debating. Um, and so I have a few other debate topics mm-hmm. that um, if Lisa was not able to make it, I had. Um, and so we're going to debate it. Tom does not uh, know what these are. Yeah, I didn't prepare, so if I'm not funny, so <laughs> it's on. That's what I mean. So we're we're going to get 20 seconds uh, to say a point about each of these things. Uh, there's no real winners, but it's just going to be a good rehash of the previous month. Real winners, the audience, eh? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so each person, uh, each topic gets uh, 20 seconds. So, all right, let's do this. Uh, got it ready? Yep. All right. So, uh, first topic. We all know that uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened uh, with uh, homosexual rights and being able to get married and do all that. So, which state is worse, Indiana or North Carolina? Yeah. Do you want us to go? Yeah. Okay. Oh, Indiana's the guy that works. Um, <laughs> not, I, I'm not informed enough on, on this story, actually, no. But I've been to Indiana. And, Oh man, that is just a state full of strip malls. <laughs> Indiana, even, is just a big old ring full of conventions, Indianapolis rather, big old ring full of convention centers. A person living there, true torture, true torture. Uh, if that's not scary enough, all there is is trees in North Carolina. Nobody lives there actually, it's a barren state. Um, is somebody from North Carolina? Uh, no. Also, uh, UNC lost the uh, NCAA championship, loses all around. Um, and also, everybody's leaving. I think North Carolina is worse. Okay. Next up, uh, the most Catholic social media account. Chris Pratt hanging a uh, cross in his home or the Pope who actually started an Instagram. Okay, here. I, I'm i thinking that Chris Pratt hanging that, hanging that cross. The Catholic Church is getting wise to social media these days. They go, who's who got the best multi-generational appeal for all demographics? Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, he's got charisma coming out of the ass. Hey, let's clandestinely <laughs> give Chris Pratt a couple money to promote the Catholic Church so the Pope by cross assimilation. I thought you were going to start off with Chris Pratt so I had stuff to say about the Pope. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I was just kind of rambling so you can say whatever you want. The, the Pope really had to catch up with all the other uh, leaders of the religious orders out there. Uh, he's got probably only like 20,000 followers to uh, the uh, Buddha. Who's that? The Buddha is the uh, guy, the guy, the guy, Gautama. Yes. The Gautama from yeah. Bobby Bob. You're thinking of Dalai Lama. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> among, 
Among the uh, many crossovers this month, we had uh, Batman versus Superman, obviously, and so another crossover that happened was Supergirl versus The Flash. Okay, so I'm, it's, I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with The Flash, because The Flash is the coolest power, but it's so inconsistently portrayed. I recall the Justice League cartoon, a classic. <laughs> so often, he would just be running the same speed as everyone else would have a blur added. And one time, there was an extended chase sequence where he could not catch up with a van. And this was not a super van. It was not a super van. It was a normal van. No response. No response. <laughs> All right. Uh, most disappointing uh, return to Netflix, House of Cards or Daredevil. Oh, I didn't watch House of Cards, but I'm, I'm going to say some like, what, do you, you care? As uh, no, I Okay, so, motherfucking, second half of the season was about Daredevil fighting the Hand Ninjas, which was truly the most boring thing in the world. Once you see one ninja fight, you've seen them all, especially since they don't speak, they don't have a personality, and they all look exactly the same. I had a guy on Facebook tell me, oh, it's actually okay that they're super boring because in the comics they're super boring because they get resurrected and don't have a personality. And I'm like, fuck that! I watch the TV show with your personality! House of Cards uh, has nothing going for it anymore. I don't care what you say, what you have, uh, what opinion that you have about House of Cards. It needs and. Either Frank Underwood needs to die, or they need to uh, move the show just like Breaking Bad. I love Breaking Bad. Don't like House of Cards anymore. It's over. Let it be done. That's it. That's it. So, uh, we just did a quick overview of, uh, of the month that was, and yes. so we're very happy to uh, bring this to you every single month here at Cafe Mustache. Um, what's, what's happening next, uh, Tom? What's, what's happening next? Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember what I was going to say. So, of course... Skewer monthly show, first Wednesday every month, as you all know. But did you further know? The next month we got a we got a special theme. It's gonna be the skewer presents the whiskey journal live. Yeah. 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 You don't know the whiskey journal, it's like the onion, but not. Um, <laughs> I write for them the next month, uh, we're gonna have a lineup entirely of whiskey journal writers and also Eric, because He's a co-founder. He gets a spot every time. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be May 4th, Wednesday, here, 8 p.m. Yeah. Woo! So, not only that, not only that, but I just, I got to plug June already because June is going to be fire. Um, oh, yeah. Right Club host Ian Belknap is going to be here. Yeah! want to be fucking insane. And who else? Uh, Dan Abramovitz from Clickle. It's going to be a phenomenal show. If you uh, if you like the skewer, want to come back, we definitely encourage it. Uh, May fourth, as was stated, and June first, and June first. So keep those on your calendar. Thank you very much for coming out. This has been the skewer. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And hey, you know, why not throw us a nice review while you're there? If you want to come to a live show, we're here at Chicago's Cafe Mustache the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook. And if you want to be in the show, contact us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. We love having new people on. Uh, and if you just want more of me and Eric... Who wouldn't? You can check out our pop culture podcast, You Don't Understand, uh, also on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.